If somebody asked me what was the most important thing that you do on a Sunday morning, it is taking the Lord's Supper. It is this ritual that is so alive and so chock full of meaning that I wouldn't want to miss out on it for anything. And there are Sundays that when I do miss out on it, I can just sort of tell that my spirit is not quite where it needs to be because something was missing in my routine. And our life is always uh, a series of choices that we make. Uh, And oftentimes when we make one choice, it's always at the expense of another. And we're going through a message series entitled FOMO. Does anybody know what FOMO means? Anybody have uh, familiarity with that word? Well, if you don't, you do now. And if you wondered what FOMO meant, I think you can figure it out pretty easy. It's the fear of missing out. Have you ever had that fear where there was uh, an option in front of you to do something and you said, yes, I'm going to do that? And it can take a variety of forms and usually it involves other people doing things that are fun to do or things that you feel like are worthwhile to do or something that would just be an awesome experience. And we are trained, I think, to have FOMO. Uh, even, you know, in, on the digital platforms, they're specifically designed to present to you images that are curated in such a way that you wish you were there. And it's just in our nature to, to, to have that fear that we're missing out on just that thing around the bend. And I wonder sometimes how much that affects our spiritual lives, our connection with God and how it is that um, we miss out on the things of God for the things that are probably lesser in their significance in God's eyes, but very important to us. And did you know that in the time of, of the writings of the Gospels, this actually was a thing with people just like it is for you and I? And Jesus, I believe, specifically had this in the back of his mind when he was talking to uh, a group of people and then an individual right after that uh, in response to what he had just shared. And as he is, the, the subtitle, if you will, uh, that describes these two episodes is there's some fear of missing out going on. And I want to explore that today from Luke chapter 18. But before we get into that, into that scenario, um, I, I want to show you a video. And, I, and then after I get done, I want you to look at this video very, very carefully as you're watching it. Maybe you can relate to it. And then perhaps we'll go into what's missing out. So let's go ahead and show uh, the roller coaster video. All right. Well, for starters, what was missing? Sound. Sound. But even though that was the case, could you guys tell me what was going on? How, how could you tell? Pretty dramatic facial expressions, weren't they? They actually say that 90% of what we hear from other people really is centered more on the expressions the facial, the facial expressions especially, but the, the gestures and the way that the intonation is given. And apart from that, the little substance that we get that's called words doesn't have a lot of meaning and we find ourselves having to project onto that our own meaning. But in this case, would you say that it would be very easy to insert your own words into that experience? I mean, they, they probably weren't too hard. I won't s- scream them out, but you can guess. 
And maybe uh, you can relate to that scene. And, and if you can, perhaps as we go through this message series, it is a little bit of a roller coaster ride, uh, which we'll get into. Now, the thing that Jesus was um, completely aware of was before he began, even before he began his ministry, he knew one thing that people were missing out on the most important thing that life had to offer. And it was partly because the religious institution had barricaded all of the good things of God from the general populace of people. But it was also partly because the things that they had hoped for hadn't quite come to fulfillment until he arrived. And when he arrived, people started paying attention because each of them in their own hearts had something that they were missing out on. And so when he showed up, people tuned in. And I think that's probably not changed very much at all in 2,000 years because hopefully you're here because you're tuning into the things of God because there's a part of you that says something is missing. And when Jesus is going through the different situations that are, 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 are presenting themselves to him, one of them is one that many of you perhaps is familiar and it has to do with little kids crying, acting up, being disruptive and I'm talking little kids and if you've ever been in an airplane where you've had that or if you've ever had a little brother or sister where you've had that or if you've had uh, a baby that has not given you a good night's rest or maybe they've grown a little bit and they just want to come in and spend time with you let's say the next eight hours in bed with you you know what I'm talking about and Jesus was aware of the feeling that people have a lot of times when they've either raised their own kids and they're like, I don't really want to go there now, or they've never had them and they don't really want to go there now either. And that kind of sets us up to understand what we're getting ready to read from Luke 18. So let's just read this and you'll see what is missing out and where. In Luke 18, uh, he begins in verse 15 with these words. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them and they said, uh, but, but, but Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now just underline that in your thinking. For such belongs the kingdom of God. Because that's really what is being, uh, be, being projected here as the thing that everybody is missing out on. And this is instructive for us. But let's continue on. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Okay, got that? So as he's telling this, there's a sense that as people are looking at a social situation and subtracting kids who are noisy and disruptive out of the equation, Jesus says, well, oddly enough, they're kind of at the center of this whole thing. There's something about what is going on in their world that you need to stop and you need to pay careful attention to. Now... I, I got to witness this, but I didn't get to experience it. And it was this. We've had three children, and each of them had, in their beginning stages, a lot of close contact with their mother, who would nurse them. And whenever their eyes would open, she would look into their eyes. 
and they would lock eyes and then that would evolve into she would smile and they would smile. And there was something special about the connection that was being created through that shared experience that I think Jesus has in the back of his mind because it is so intimate on so many levels for that child to have that experience with that child's mother that Jesus wasn't going to let it go. Essentially, he was saying that there's something about the dynamic of someone who pays attention to a child and what the child is seeing and hoping and expecting when they're looking back at their mother. So let's just hold on to that for a second because Jesus is capturing this for the sake of what he's getting ready to say. And as we continue on in the story, this is what we read. Let's, let's, let's move on. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except the Father, except God alone. And you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And the, and the ruler said, all of these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, Well, there's one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. As the rich young ruler heard these words, and they were just assimilated into his thinking and everything else he had going on, Scripture says he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And as he expands on this for his disciples, he says, For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it then said, Who can be saved? Let's just stop right there. And as we do... You'll notice that there's one phrase that, that, that ties these two together, and it is that word, the kingdom of God. It is something that Jesus brought into the world that people did not have an experience of, but there was something inside of each of them that says, but that, that's the thing that I, I believe I need. And I want to look at this rich young ruler for just a second. If you put yourself in his shoes uh, at probably 40 years of age, you could go back on the timeline to the point where he was about 18 years of age and you could see his mind working. And I believe it went something like this. I want to be a successful person. I want to make a lot of money and I want to actually achieve a position of status within the community. And so I honestly believe that from the age of, let's assume, 18, and maybe it was even earlier than that, he said, as a young boy, so I'm guessing it was already germinating, he had this sense that I'm going to get it all right. My life is going to be in order. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to arrive. I'm going to have everything that a person in our culture says is necessary to arrive at that place where your life is good. And he had done it. Now, some of you may be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's just push the pause button for a second. 
He said to that guy, I, he needs to sell all of his wealth. And you're thinking, that's kind of where I got derailed a little bit, Pastor. Because I'm thinking, is God calling me to sell all of my wealth? I honestly don't believe that's what the, what's going on here. And I'll tell you why. For a couple of reasons, and, and some I'll share later. One of them is, there's another guy who was called to basically receive the kingdom, who had the same itch that he couldn't scratch any other way. And his name uh, was Matthew, who was a tax collector. And when he started to uh, follow Jesus, Jesus said, just sell half. And come and follow me. And then there's another person that we read about later on in the book of Acts. Her name was Lydia. And she was a very wealthy uh, female entrepreneur who had established a pretty substantial business. And it just was never mentioned that she should sell everything to follow the Lord. So what's going on underneath here? Because I think that's really what Jesus is getting at. Is there is something going on in your heart, Mr. Ruler, that we need to bring out. And it's the same for us. And it has a lot to do with what we think is important versus what is important. And a lot of times we fear missing out things that we sacrifice the most important for the thing that is less important. And maybe there's some of you like me, at times you have this impulse that you you just want to have it all. And God looks at each of us and he says, I truly love you. But I understand this. We got work to do. And that's fine because God is in the business of redeeming not only our souls, but our very way of life so that we can become more and more like him, so that we can find joy and it not end well. Now let's just back up a minute to the, to the, to the girl that is on the roller coaster. And let's just think about what, what, what was missing and what is missing. Now, the girl was in a place in life where I'm sure she saw brothers and sisters going on the roller coaster, and she was thinking, man, it would be great to do that. And there was this sense of missing out until she was old enough, you know, to reach that line where she could go in and she could try it. And in the meantime, there probably is a dad who is a lot like I am, and that is, how many of you, by the way, still ride roller coasters? How many of you kind of gave it up? Can I guess that the reason that you gave it up was because the pleasure of riding the roller coaster was surpassed by the painful visits to the chiropractor that (laughs) followed? Isn't there something about riding the roller coaster and thinking, I I, I know I'm a 40 or 30 or even a 25-year-old person or maybe a 50-year-old person, but inside of me is an 18-year-old kid that just can't wait for the thrill of riding that roller coaster. And you get in, and as you get strapped in, you're filled with anticipation, and as soon as that thing launches forward, you're like, ah, this is going to be rough. And then by the time you get done, you're seeing double vision, and you're hurting all over, and you're thinking, I need some Tylenol, badly. And, and, and as you're just trying to pull yourself back together, you're thinking, that used to be a lot of fun, but that didn't end so well. And there's this sense of what used to be great ends up just beating us up to no end. 
And that honestly is what Jesus sees going on with this rich young ruler. Because he spent a lot of time curating the ride. So much so that it is designed to go exactly the way he wants it to go. But what Jesus sees is that the way he's, the way he's going, the way he's approaching this ride, it's not going to end well. And the pain that, 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 that isn't so strong now is going to end up being greater if he stays on this track. And as Jesus is looking at his life, he knows that there is something out of whack in his priorities. And even though he has this longing inside of him for the thing that Jesus has, Jesus knows you can't have them both. And it's not even really about the money. It's really more about the way he's prioritized the things in his life to be centered around the way he's built his life and not so much around the God who gave him everything that he needed to build his life. It's a subtle difference, but it kind of goes like that. And if you're like me, there's something about this guy that you, you appreciate because he's a highly functioning human being who's getting a lot done and he's uh, a good person and he's probably pretty reliable in what he says he'll do. But that's not really the point. The point is he always knew in the back of his mind that he was missing out on something. And it was this sense at age 18 that he thought this is the way to go to fill that void. And the void was this. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of power. I don't really have much so social recognition. Meaning that I don't feel very secure where I'm at. I don't feel very... I, I don't feel like I have a sense of worth because I'm not recognized. And as I'm looking at my ability to do things, I don't feel like I can do much. So he spent the next several years making sure that he was secure, making sure that he had all the power that he needed and all the prestige that he needed and all of the public accolades that would ensure that he had his worth satisfied. But what's the problem with approaching life that way? Because I honestly believe that he also thought God was in the mix as well because Jesus, um, uh, he, he said, you know, I, I've kept all of these commandments. And they were all relational commandments that had a lot to say about how trustworthy you were. And you know, as he's hearing these things and Jesus is sort of sorting out where his heart is, it's... It's interesting that Jesus is kind of doing the math and he's saying, you know, that's all, that's all well and good. But it kind of reminds me of a scene from Columbo. You ever see the movie Columbo? Some of you older people like myself. You know, Columbo was that guy. And this is what he would essentially do. He would, he would go up to the person that he knew was the bad guy. Was guilty as sin for what crime was the crux of the story. And he would just run down a narrative. And it wouldn't really have a whole lot to do with that person that was hearing the story and they were having conversation about. And
and the guy, you know, I, you know is thinking, he's not going to get me. And so Columbo says, well, I think we're done here. He'll walk sort of away a few steps, and then he'll turn around and he'll go, but there's one more thing. And that one more thing is the gotcha. It's the thing that makes that story fit that guilty party. And it is so good because the way it is written, you're like, oh man, that was a gotcha. And that's essentially what is going on here. Because this guy thought, it's all good and this is going to end well. And I just got to tack on a few more things. And whatever that thing is that Jesus has, I'm going to have. I'm going to have it all. But I would say the better image here is, is not so much Columbo and the guilty guy. It's more like a person who's trying to catch monkeys. Now anybody have monkey problems at your house? Anybody have squirrel problems at your house? Mouse problems? Chipmunk problems? Possum problems? Raccoon problems? I'll just stop right there. Let's just, let's just stop at monkeys. So since we don't have monkeys and you guys asked, I'll tell you. And it's this. If I were living in India and I wanted to cat, capture a monkey so I could sell it, not too hard to do. All I got to do is create a small container about so big, put a hole in it about the size of the fist of the monkey, and then put an object in that container, tie that container to a tree, and I got myself a monkey. It's just time is the only thing that's getting in the way at this point. And essentially what the monkey will do is they'll see that very desirable object inside that container, just inside that hole, and he's going to say to himself, I want that. I'm missing out on that. I'm going to, I'm going to get that. And so the monkey puts his hand inside that hole. He grabs that object, and it's probably a piece of fruit, and he's thinking, hmm, this is mine. And he goes to pull it out, and it won't come out. And it won't come out. And the thing about monkeys is they get so fixated on that object that 10 times out of 10, you got yourself a monkey because they're not going to let go. They're thinking, I can't let go of that. And it's sort of like this. The rich young ruler saying, I got this, but Jesus, I want that. And he's trying to hang on and keep that going. And, well, Jesus says, that's not going to work. Because that thing you're hanging on to that is ruining your ability to see what I'm doing in your life because it is so important to you, you're stuck there. And you can't go any further. Now you think by the standard of the way the world is that there is no other place to go. I've arrived, but in Jesus' eyes, it's a whole different measure of success. Because his measure centers more on what is beyond this world and how the, the reality of God takes effect in the lives of people in a meaningful way where people start to uh, begin to move and live and come alive in the Lord because they're ready to move on. Because the things that they said, I am missing out on things and I've missed out long enough and I'm finding out the things that I kept feeling like would satisfy me, well, the pain of the whole thing is exceeding the pleasure I once had. The desirability of the thing is being overcome by, well, 
just how mundane it is. And it's not unlike you and I on the roller coaster at 12, just screaming for joy, knowing that this is just as fun as all get out, and I don't have a care in the world. To be in that 40 or 50-something-year-old person that gets on that wooden roller coaster and it just beats you to no end. And you're like, yeah, this used to be a good thing, but it's not getting it anymore. And Jesus saw that this guy, he was stuck. He was stuck because, well, he was prioritizing something over God. It was like, give me, give me more God stuff to my collection here and it'll all be good. I got my stuff, put some God in there, it's going to be good. Jesus, whatever you have, I want to add what you have to my stuff and it's all going to be good and my life will be complete. But the reality is, Jesus came and he said, um, sir, your priorities are a little bit off. Seek first the kingdom of God and then all this other stuff that's not so important will find its place in your life. That's how it works. You've bought into a set of rules that didn't come from God and now you're starting to find out through that emptiness inside of you that it's not enough. Now for you and I, I don't know what it is that we fear missing out on. But if I were to just sort of fast forward this to the, to, the, to the crux of the matter, a lot of times it is because we're putting something else first. You see, the commandment that didn't get mentioned, it wasn't on the table, was you shall have no other gods before me. And what Jesus was kind of saying was you sort of forgot that vertical relationship. And this thing that you've constructed called your life, well... That's kind of your idol. And an idol will only take you so far, but it will never take you where you need to go. And maybe you and I occasionally get a little bit of a, well, a little bit of a wake-up call from God saying, all your time and energy and attention seems to be going more and more to this thing and the time and energy and attention that you're investing in me seems to be diminishing. And is it weird that the more that time and energy directed to me diminishes, the more you feel like I'm missing out on something. I'm missing out on something. And I don't think it's a coincidence. Because there is something about putting God first in your life that makes the rest of it work. And that's really by design. And when Jesus is looking at these two situations, there's the one about the kid, right? Now, we just saw a kid on a roller coaster. Now, some of you are thinking, I can remember when I was a little girl or I was a little boy and I got on the roller coaster. And when you did, let me guess if it didn't go something like this. It's the first time on the roller coaster going with my dad or my mom and the ticket taker is just taking my ticket and I'm finding my car and I get in and I sit down and I'm so full of anticipation and the seatbelt is put on and then I know I can't go anywhere and I'm looking up to my dad you know you know that's what happened with her 
are you there? And you know the dad looks down and says, I'm right here. I'm right here. We're on this ride together. And so as the car takes off, you saw the expression, absolute terror. I wanted to do this. I was afraid I was going to miss out on it. And when I did it, whoa, it was at first a little overwhelming, even scary. Sometimes I wondered if the car was, when we were headed for that first turn, and it was an immediate 90 degree angle, I knew that car was going to go right over the edge. And I looked up at my dad, and he's completely relaxed and smiling. A little beat up looking, but pretty, well, not too worried. Now I'm guessing this roller coaster is a little different because there came a point in time when technology said, we're going to do rails with rubberized wheels. Weren't those wonderful for a while? Until, you know, those things beat us up too. But just imagine that as being a superior ride that would be available for you in that setting. And as you're going along that different twisting and turning track to its culmination in the end, you get to the end after the first round and you're thinking, oh, was I scared to death. But he was with me. And I'm having a lot of fun. And you know that kid was saying, Again. And, and you wonder sometimes if, if coming around the second time it's getting ready to slow down, wouldn't it be cool if you could say to the operator, just one more time. And he says, all right. And you just go around again and you're looking at your father and you're saying, I feel safe here with you. And the kingdom of God, based on this description seems to be more located in the life of that kid than in the life of the kid who became an aspiring adult who achieved and arrived. One had it and one didn't. And as Jesus is telling the story and I'm kind of elaborating it a little bit, I think about that roller coaster ride and I realize it is a lot like what I invite people into whenever they become a follower of Jesus. I would love to say it's going to be a smooth track all the way to eternity, but it's not. Because you're going to have the same tempting, temptation or test to go through the same range of emotions that the rich young ruler did, and they are these. Number one, you're going to wonder, is God watching out for me? Does he have my back? Am I secure? You're going to wonder sometimes when people are hating on you, am I a worthwhile human being? And all of these things that go through each of our minds that have a lot to do with why we have fears and anxieties and worries. Well, Jesus said, that's why the kingdom is here. Because those fears and anxieties and worries and disconnected feelings from all things that center on God, that's what you're missing out on. And once you can get into that place where you're in that seat for the ride, there is none other than our Heavenly Father coming alongside us, assuring us. And he 
doesn't say, we'll stop the riot and get off. He just says, we'll go on it together. Forever. Now when you look at these two parties and we try to bring it into our own lives, I wonder sometimes if you have that level of trust. That God really is like that. That God does care. That God does provide. That God gives us a dignity and a value and a worth as his children. And what God wants to do is assure us every time we open his word and hopefully every time we're around other believers that this is as real as it gets. Because something unseen came into the scene and changed everything. And my biggest concern is that some of us have locked into things that have to do with everything here and below and have come to some weird conclusion that that's all there is. But if you're like me, you long for something more. And there's a lot of things here on earth that I don't want to miss out on. But they don't even begin to compare to the things in that realm that Jesus says, and I don't want you to miss out on this either. I always thought that if I made enough money and I had enough power and I had enough prestige, that I'd be much happier as a human being. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? I can travel anywhere. I can do whatever I want. I can, I can, I can be recognized. And what, what does the scripture say? He had all those things and he walked away sad because he believed that all those things was all there was. And I don't want you to leave here believing that. That there is a father and he's with us on the ride and he comes from above into our world and he says, you no longer need to miss out. The most important thing for you to be a part of is right here in the form of my son Jesus. But the question is, do you trust him like a little girl trusts her father and knows that he will take care of her? And know that whatever we need, whether it's salvation, whether it's deliverance from the forces of darkness, whether it is just, Lord, help me along the way to know your provision as I go through life and I work through all the things that I need to work through. He'll be there. He promises. And then he will take us to the thing that we clearly don't want to miss out on, and that's life with him forever. Bow with me if you don't mind. Father, as we conclude this time in your word, I, I just pray that the things that I've said would be in alignment with the things on your heart. As we've just gone through this story and we've looked at our own hearts, I just ask that you would, in the lives of each of us, just make us aware of anything that is getting in the way of putting the most important thing first. Aware of the thing that is keeping me stuck. The thing that I want to hang on to 
and yet it is keeping me from moving forward. And I pray, Father, that the power of your loving presence would be upon us. That in some cases, the conviction of your spirit would be at work in us to reveal that which is uncomfortable. But in all things, Lord, just remind us that you're going somewhere with this and you're taking us with you. Pray, Father, that however it is that you want to work in our lives today, that we would, in this time, have a spirit of surrender and trust you, Lord, with whatever we need for the road ahead. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.